Untitled Beatles podcast. TJ, when are we going to get to hear your piano again? Well, piano's coming soon. I got to wear the sling for another three more weeks, which is helpful for a uh, pi- right? piano player who pays his bills playing piano now virtually. Uh, yeah, so I'd sling for three more weeks, but hopefully by next week I can kind of start faking uh, piano a little bit more. So piano's coming, just not today. All right. Well, we greatly await with bated breath the return of your ivory tickling. Oh, my neighbor feels differently. (laughs) (laughs) Are we allowed to talk about that? Well, at this point, don't fucking care. There we go. (laughs) Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. Once again, I'm Tony. And I'm TJ. It's my favorite hour of the week, talking Beatles with Tony Mendoza. Thank you. Me too, TJ. Just so you know. I, I love it. And in, in, in a sea of bad, Tony and I basically started this podcast and shortly when the pandemic kind of began. And yeah, we want to thank so many people lately have found us on Facebook. So many of you are listening. We love that we have way more listeners now than we have when we started. Um, hopefully you. you're you're taking from this what we're taking from this, too. This is catharsis for us. Tony and I love the Beatles. We're dismayed and distraught by what's happening in society. So getting to talk Beatles for an hour is our favorite hour of the week. And more and more people joining us is humbling. At least it is for the ones who don't hate us. We read your comments, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. You know, it's fine. I'm glad if you like us, hooray. Uh, If not, okay. Whatever, man. Yeah, that's fine. It's funny, though, whenever someone posts a negative comment we actually see like their home address and we know their passwords and all this stuff so just be careful if you're going to say something bad well and i don't want to issue threats but let's just say i might be a proud boy <laughs> lordy all right well let's do it man so this is a fun idea you had tj i'll let you present it how about that great um, I think the more people who convert to the religion that I am, the better the world will be. And we're going to spend this podcast talking about religion. That's me in the corner. That's me. R.E.M. Michael Stipe, dog. Oh, the Beatles were never an influence. Then why did you cover number nine dream for a charity album when you weren't selling any of your own records, Stipe? Always drove me crazy. So at any rate, as we talk about number nine dream, might that be on my list? Of today's topic, Solo Beatles Mount Rushmore. So I propose Tony and I each picking one song per Beatle from their solo years from 70 up till today. So maybe Tony's got deep down Chris McCartney. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> There's nine songs of McCartney 3 have the phrase <laughs> deep down in them. God bless. Um, so today we're going to pick one song from each Beatle. And I don't believe Tony and I are picking these to be these are the definitive greatest songs from each solo respective Beatle. Correct. I believe these are the songs that we either resonate the most or we have a particular fondness for, for whatever reason. These are the four Beatles songs from each solo Beatle that we'll put in our Mount Rushmore. Now, I've cheated. Three of my four are Ringo songs, and all are from Vertical Man. <laughs> la di da <laughs> Like K Sarah, Sarah, whatever. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's true, man. That's true. Now, I took a different approach. I'm calling this my Happy Rushmore because that's what I thought that movie Happy Gilmore was called. I'm like, oh, this will be funny. I'll call it Happy Rushmore. <laughs> Great mashup between Rushmore and Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone should do that. But I decided because of the uh, the tumult and by the time this airs, who knows, but we are taping this in early January, pre-inauguration. So we don't know what the world's going <laughs> to pan out like in the coming weeks. But um, because there's been a lot of tumult, et cetera, I, I have chosen a current mood of wanting joy and perhaps a bit of nostalgia in my choices for my solo Mount Rushmore. And as you know... Our favorite Beatles albums and songs sometimes tend to change, you know? So this is reflective of uh, early 2021. Uh, Same here, Tony. It's how I feel now, although I have to say at least two of these would be on my unbreakable Mount Rushmore slash solo favorites list. So a couple of them are varied and two of them are ironclad. So should we start in, you know, uh, usual Beatle order? Let's go John, Paul, George, Ringo. 
I like it. That's the order I have it on my notes. Classic, classic order. So I'm just going to start with a weird wild card. John Lennon's solo catalog is fine, but I'm going with Julian Lennon's Too Late for Goodbyes. (laughs) I love all your fake outs. You're like Glass Joe in uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Uh, I'm like Glass Joe and Punch Out. I'm like Muggsy Bogues and NBA Jam. I'm like, I got all, all going for me. Well, well, what's your John Lennon? Let's hear it. All right. If I get to go first, uh, here's one that is, I don't want to say uplifting, but has always moved me both as a piece and for its place in history. Because this song didn't become a chart hit until several months after John Lennon was dead. John Lennon had no idea of the impact of the song Watching the Wheels. And Watching the Wheels has always haunted me as a piano ballad. Yeah. What it says lyrically about John Lennon's retirement that preceded Double Fantasy, which was, of course, released in uh, not long before John Lennon's murder. So John Lennon yeah. certainly was aware that Double Fantasy was a big selling record. But Watching the Wheels was not released as a single to 1981. I think it made it to number 10 on Billboard. But the lyrics are about as clear as John Lennon ever was. And John Lennon always wrote with clarity of self. People say I'm crazy doing what I'm doing. Well, they give me all kind of advice to save me from ruin. I mean, the the chorus, I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. Really love to watch them roll. No longer riding the merry-go-round. I just had to let it go. Speaks to why he stepped away from music just to raise Sean and be a house husband with Yoko for those five years. And the tragedy, I'm getting a chill talking about this, the tragedy of that song becoming such a huge non-album hit, but a hit as a single, after John Lennon was gone, has always haunted me. The other thing I want to say musically about that song, the coda, the ending of it, all of a sudden he ends with this little kind of blues riff on the piano, Mm -hmm. and his voice gets bluesy as the song fades. And you don't anticipate it because he never really hints to it anywhere else in the song, but it's just even more poignant that he ends with that kind of bluesy... I, I almost don't know how to describe it. It is always, I love the song, the piano riff haunts me, the lyrics haunt me, and it's one I listen to when I kind of want to cry and think about John. So that's my John Lennon contribution to my Mount Rushmore, is Double Fantasies Watching the Wheels. No longer riding on the merry-go-round. I just had to let it go. I just have to let it go. Yeah, that's a great song. I've always loved that song, and it, it's always touched me too in a in an emotional way. Really, uh, yeah, because of the tragedy involved with it afterwards. Um, even if that hadn't happened, there's still a, a real personal quality to that song. That's and it's beautiful. It's always been one of my favorites. And that thing you mentioned at the end is great. Yeah, it's almost like let's go around one more time yep. in a strange, well, maybe slightly, who knows, prophetic way. You know, this is a great song. Let's do it once more around in a fun, bluesy way. And maybe that's why Paul does that so much with all his stuff live. He always is like, one more time. (laughs) Now the people in the middle. All right, Paul. Everybody's gone. Hey, Jude is like, it's like, it's like playing Stairway to Heaven twice. Hey, Jude should not be 15 minutes. I love it. Everyone loves it. Not just the ushers. All right, Paul. Now just Usher. Why is Usher at this concert? He's a fan. (laughs) Usher's favorite McCartney album, Pipes of Peace. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I, I'm glad you dig that song. It's not exactly a John Lennon deep cut. It's been on every greatest hits album since the John Lennon collection came out in what eighty two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I would say seek out the acoustic version of it that is part of the John Lennon anthology. But also a few years ago, 
maybe 2010 actually, they released on CD only an album called Double Fantasy Stripped, where yeah. it just had the, it took all the Jack Douglas production, and it's really just the band and John's voice, and the clarity of his piano playing and his vocal on that one is the one that feels like John Lennon is singing to you. People say I'm crazy Doing what I'm doing Well, they give me all kinds of warnings To save me from ruin This is one that if you don't cry when you're listening to it, you might not be a diehard Beatle fan. (laughs) You have all these litmus tests. I love it. (laughs) If you've never fucked in an olive garden, you might be a redneck. I don't know. Who's that guy? Travis Tritt or Jeff Jeff Foxworthy. Travis Tritt. If you've ever fucked a cousin. All right. (laughs) All right. I think we offended somebody out here. That ain't funny, is it, sis? All right, well, my John Lennon, Mount Rushmore, at this stage, again, wanting to feel good, wanting to feel a party atmosphere, is his first number one, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Yes. From 1974's Walls and Bridges. It's got Elton John on it. It's got that honking sax all over it, which we will discover is a through line on my... Happy Rushmore. (laughs) I've always loved this song, and I can't explain it other than I think the song itself, the music itself, is just kind of pure joy. It was inspired, at least the title, was inspired, according to May Pang, John Lennon was channel surfing, as he was wont to do, and the TV evangelist Reverend Ike came on, and he said, basically, whatever gets you through the night, somewhere in his... uh, I'm going to call it a rant. Uh, And then the music was inspired by a hit at the time, Rock Your Baby by George McRae, which features that that great uh, maestro rhythm king MRK2 percussion, which you hear all over Sly and the Family Stone. It's that organ sounding, you know, built in Mm -hmm. drum machine from the 70s. Yeah, there's something about this song I like. And I mentioned nostalgia earlier, too, and it it harkens back to the time in the 70s when I was a kid, a very young kid, and I don't really remember a lot of stuff, but I remember that, remember when the city was dangerous? Yeah. And maybe this is like a suburb. I grew up in the Burbs. You actually grew up in the city, so I don't know, but the... I did. I grew up on the north side, so it was kind of like the Burbs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I I, I don't want to get shipped waiting for a table at RJ Grunt's. Right. <laughs> nice. RJ Grunts. Good. Are they still doing takeout? They do good takeout. Still going. Yeah. <laughs> good, take good. Out. That salad bar may be a done deal, but RJ <laughs> Grunts still kicking. Good. Good. But there's like, I like that this song is joyous, even in the face of violence in the lyrics, like uh, whatever gets you through the night. Uh, what's the line about a holdup? It's, it's, uh, it's your money or your life. Thank you. Yeah. It's your yeah. money. Yeah. But it's sung like, it's your money or your life. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, it's whatever. It's pre-summer of Sam and all that. But that was the vibe, you know, that these dangerous cities, you can still have the time of your life, you know? And I don't know. I think I have a nostalgia for whatever that is. So I love this song. It's, it's on my happy Rushmore. What a great, what a great call. What great trivia that it's John Lennon's first number one single. He always called it a novelty song. Yeah. And one of, one of my favorite parts of this, and we've talked about this before on the show, Tony is there is so little live John Lennon by virtue of his retirement and him not really touring after the Beatles broke up. But the last live John Lennon recording from Madison square garden the day after Thanksgiving in 74, he does this song with Elton John and his band and also Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and Sar standing there. So what's always I loved about this song is it's like rare, non-live, Plastigono, Attica State era, live John Lennon playing with Elton John's crack touring band. Uh, And it's cool that there exists a live memento of that, at least an audio, and I don't believe there's any video with sound. But that's a cool little thing about this one, too. What did you think about when uh, they reissued that Lennon uh, Give Me Some Truth compilation with the remixes? Ultimate mix. The ultimate mix, they had a keyboard gliss 
to begin it that I've never heard. The first time I heard that, I, it stopped me cold. I'm like, have I missed this? Is it so buried in the mix? But no. No, it's new. I think that was a Sean Lennon choice because he's he's he has input on these mixes now. It's great. I can't wait for... I believe we're going to get some some more ultimate mixes from Plastic Ono and all that. I know it's in the works. I'm really hoping it's coming out this year. Can't wait for that. What a, what a great call. <laughs> Whatever gets you through the night. Should we move on to Paul? Yeah. So does the soundtrack to The Family Way count as one track? (laughs) (laughs) Wasting so much time with fake outs. I'll I'll make this one quick because this is the first Paul McCartney song that I fell in love with as a, uh, I think an eight-year-old. And it remains my favorite solo McCartney song. Uh, I believe Paul McCartney has released a great great number of phenomenal songs since 1982 but i don't believe he's released a song that's ever matched this one and it's take it away from tug of war nice the joy of take it away which they still use fairly uh, up until fairly recently on nfl games after an interception sometimes <laughs> going to a commercial you hear take it away i uh, this is george martin on piano ringo and steve gad playing drums wow it has, at the time, Paul was collaborating with Eric Stewart of 10CC. Right. Who had, you know, I'm Not In Love, the, I think, possibly racist and offensive song, Dreadlock Holiday. Well. I have a hard time getting it. I can't know, tell man. how I feel about it. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean. I do, right. I think it was meant as a tribute and has aged poorly. Is that fair? Yeah. Aging poorly is a thing. It's a fucking thing. <laughs> we, we, we see it in comedy too you can't do 99% of second city scenes yeah. written before 2016 so it's it, right. it's 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 the same thing yeah yeah but take it away is i believe uh, as you talk about joyous songs it's joyful i don't believe paul was ever more melodic in the years that followed the melody is propulsive george martin playing piano is is great this song is constantly called one of the great McCartney songs from the 80s, and yet it did not appear on 1987's All the Best, right, right. which was the collection release just following all Paul's 80s stuff. It was on the Wingspan 2 CD release on the second disc, the history disc, not the quote-unquote hits disc. Hmm. So for some reason, Take It Away has always been ignored. Yeah, It didn't make number one. Other songs from the 80s charted higher, Coming Up charted higher, No More Lonely Nights charted higher, Ebony and Ivory from the same album. But note for note, I don't think there's a solo McCartney song that makes me happier than Take It Away. And I bring up Eric Stewart because the I'm not in love kind of layered harmonies that were so popular what that 10CC did so well, they lay on to the coda of Take It Away over a brass section playing a beautiful kind of figure to end the song. It's orchestrated, performed, and written as beautifully as any solo McCartney song I've ever heard. I had the 45 when I was eight years old. My dad bought it for me with me at Downtown Records on State Parkway. Nice. Back when uh, they had the plexiglass and you'd have to reach to get the eight track, you drop it down. It would go in a conveyor belt because apparently people were stealing fucking eight tracks in 1982. I don't know why. Right. But, uh, and you and I have obsessed a lot, Tony, about the hits of 1982 it was kind of being a seminal year in eighties music just before MTV and Madonna and thriller and Duran Duran really took over. Mm-hmm. So take it away in a sense is not just of its time, but it's the end of an era of music too. I love that song with every bit of me. Some important impresario As a message for
Yeah, that is probably the first McCartney song I remember, meaning a solo McCartney song, I remember growing up, hearing on the radio. I don't really remember hearing Coming Up so much. I would have been around, but there was a summer in 82, which is why that year resonates with me so much, uh, that I just spent listening to the radio alone a lot. Uh, I was a latchkey kid, et cetera. It doesn't matter, but that was one of those songs that means a lot to me just because of that experience, like playing with my Hot Wheels cars and Star Wars figures and all that while the radio was on. And I like that little, uh, there's like a gallopy kind of a thing going on in that song too, right? Like yeah. a percussion. Doon, tick -a -doon, yeah. tick -a -doon. And it almost yeah. starts with like an off meter, almost reggae intro. Do doon, do doon, do doon, do doon, do doon, do ah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just brilliant. It, it almost feels so easy, but then when you analyze the song structure, it's not easy. There's beautiful chord changes. And your, I know your favorite song from the summer of 82 is Only Time Will Tell by Asia. <laughs> I forget what my favorite was. I don't even remember. I think I liked that one of those Mellencamp songs they were playing all the time a lot. <laughs> they were all great. But yeah, so that's uh, I, I Love 82 and Take It Away. That has never moved as my favorite solo Paul McCartney composition and recording. That's cool, man. Well, mine may surprise you, TJ. It is uh, the hit Silly Love Songs. <laughs> not surprised in fact i love it <laughs> i've always I loved love this it. song yeah i've always loved this song i don't care how cheesy it is i love this song uh i've liked it since i was a kid i think it reminds me it came out in 76 i would have been one when this song came out but uh and i think it reminds me of like seeing my aunt and uncle who were like newlyweds and starting their life together in like a new apartment or something and it reminds me of like the way uh saturday night fever songs make me feel too it, it's this uh, there's something domestic and wonderful about it i also think that love songs can be fun they don't have to be so damn dreary or plodding or down tempo this is a fun song there's like a sir duke feel going on with all the brass and the woodwinds because yeah there's a sax on this one too mm -hmm. <laughs> are you gonna go four for four with saxes on your mount rushmore i am i fucking am <laughs> yeah right. watch out man oh god your 16 is gonna be your ringo song i don't want to hear it <laughs> it's a great song i love before the the latin part he says latin <laughs> it's a tight square song and I have no qualms about digging on a square song this song too there's also great trivia because this is one of the legions of paul mccartney songs that he did live on the 76 wings over america tour he's not done this song live since it is crazy he always chooses let him in from wings of the speed of sound right and not say love songs which would whether it's an indoor or an outdoor show think what that would do in the middle of a mccartney show you get done with long and winding road and eleanor rigby and fine you want to do uh, what's the song from New Queenie Eye, whatever you want. Then you bring you bring it back up with silly love songs. I've never understood why he hasn't done it. It is such a powerful song, and it's disco and it's funk and it's pop. Yeah. And for all the people who've dogged on a Tony, I love it for the same reasons you do. People forget even before Ebony and Ivory, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder were tight. On Paul McCartney's Red Rose Speedway. Early copies have in Braille on the album. Think how much that cost at the time in Braille. Yeah, a message right. saying, we, we love you, Stevie. So I do think That's there is cool. some Stevie Wonder influence in this track. 
And yeah, it's people dogged it, and it was Paul McCartney basically saying, you know what, F you. I do write love songs. Love songs are silly. Here's one that's going to be number one for the entire summer of 1976, <laughs> you fools. <laughs> yeah, man. Have you heard the one on the Broad Street soundtrack when he remade it with like a bass solo and a key change? Yeah, well, so that one I'm not. I'm less interested. <laughs> Get rid of that gated snare and all your '80s, your Yamaha, <laughs> the stupid keyboard. <laughs> not interested. I like this original version. It has a cool cliffhanger ending too, so it's cool. It could have could have faded out, but it could have. Well, it goes on like five minutes. And for those of you who love ripping bass solos, and now the give my regards to Broad Street, silly love songs. <laughs> Well, who do you got for George Harrison? This I'm curious. Don't like him. <laughs> oh, we're rolling. I got to pretend again. Fuck. Um, yeah. th- this is another one on my ironclad list. I mentioned on the show before. It's one of the first songs I remember from a trip to, I think, Arizona with my family. My family's interesting is my family had a little money in the 70s and then which they blame on Reagan didn't have money in the 80s. So I've got I've got great <laughs> memories my dad was a small business owner, and then when Reaganomics took over and it all favored the big chains, yeah. my dad's business was screwed, and uh, there went some of the family money. But the song I remember from that particular trip, and we bought the 45 in a gift shop at the hotel in Arizona. Wow. And this this song has haunted me in the best way possible ever since. We had a band, our Beatle cover band learned it for our wedding. It is Blow Away from 1979, self-titled George Harrison. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It is a sunny song that is has a beautiful message. It is spiritual. All I got to do is to love you. All I got to be is be happy. All it's going to take is some warmth to make it blow away. I mean, it is it, it, the message is so simple, but in George Harrison's hands, he made it one of the most melodic and one of the most beautifully scored and orchestrated songs I believe he ever released. It, to me, is about as great as George Harrison. And I include All Things Must Pass in that album and Living the Material World. He had a lot of great albums and a lot of great songs. To me, I don't think he ever wrote a song as a solo artist more beautiful than Blow Away. All it's got to take is something to make it blow. That's cool, man. That's cool. Now, let me ask you this. If any of the songs on All Things Must Pass had the same production as the self-titled record in 70, 79, right? 79. Yeah. Would that change your opinion at all? Or is this song still that strong? No, I don't think so, because most of the great songs in All Things Must Pass are spiritual in a more overt and literal way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Blow Away to me feels, I think it's one of the reasons I like it so much. And I'm not against spiritual George Harrison. I've long called All Things Must Pass the second best solo Beatles album after Plastic Ono Band. Song for song, maybe you take Thanks for the Pepperoni or I Remember Jeep, <laughs> put those on a different list. Blasphemy. It's Johnny's birthday. <laughs> it's Johnny's birthday. Um But uh, all things must pass. The spirituality is literal. In Blow Away, it feels metaphorical, and I think that just resonates with me a little bit more. That makes sense, man. Yeah, that's cool. 
Well, my George Harrison pick comes off of your favorite George Harrison album, Extra Texture. Read all about it. (laughs) Remember those ads? Remember those car ads in the 70s? And a kid would come out, he looked like Scott Baio, and he'd be like, extra, extra. And then a a hand would come out and give him a pie in the face. (laughs) Were these local ads? These Chicago ads? Yeah, this is like local Chicago ads. Extra, extra, long Chevrolet, a fine dealer. Those used to scare me. I used to get scared. I don't know why. This is like a kid thing. When I was a kid, I was terrified of people getting a pie in the face. So sometimes (laughs) watching the Bozo show, I remember I took a a blanket one time and put it over the television set because uh, (laughs) my mom went into the other room and they started a a pie fight on the Bozo show. (laughs) Anyway. No Bozo show for you and no last scene in Blazing Saddles for you. None of that. (laughs) I don't know what that was, but uh, anyway, Extra Texture, 1975. Uh, I love the song You. I just love it. It fits into my good mood right now, music I want to hear right now. It's an interesting song because there's two drum parts going on. The way I prefer to hear it is as a a double-time stomper versus like the more reggae feel of the, uh, I think it's Jim Keltner does the more... uh, yeah, it's Jim Gordon on drums, the murderer, sorry, on the basic track. And then overdubs were done in 75 with Jim Keltner doing the halftime drums. Anyway, this was a song he wrote for Ronnie Spector in 1970. Uh, he recorded a demo of it, you know, a backing basic track in 71. And then when Ronnie Spector never really did anything with it, he, you know, he needed some extra songs for extra texture. He did. So much he did the song twice on that album. Yep, he did this one twice. Uh, I I like this song a lot. Uh, I I mean the the lyrics are very simple. It's I love you, which I believe some people claim that McCartney nicked that for silly love songs. Oh, I never heard that. It, it would make sense given when silly love songs was released and recorded following you. It's interesting. I never heard that. Yeah, some people think there's there might be a connection there. You know, who knows? But. I I really, I just love this song. I like the music of it and the message is, I think, where I'm at right now. And it's got a sax. <laughs> uh, was it difficult to choose between this and uh, George Harrison's other Ronnie Spector composition, Tandoori Chicken? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that one. Are you serious? What is this one about, man? I, I, don't, know that, I don't know that I've ever heard it, but I'm pretty, unless I made that up, I'm pretty sure. Uh, there's a chance. Again, Beatle Lies. There's a chance I made this up. Beetle, but I'm pretty sure George Beetle Harrison lies. wrote a song for Ronnie Spector around that same era called Tandoori Chicken. Oh, yeah. That was during their uh, that, that time period where he went to an Indian restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of my favorite lines from the Ruddles. It was uh-huh. that, that period when the Ruddles went to an Indian <laughs> restaurant. It's so funny. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll find out. I want to know about this tandoori chicken. Yeah, is that right? Uh, we got the thumbs up from from Casey. All right, okay. I don't know. That I've ever heard it. It's just one that I've seen, like you know, read a bunch. Oh, I'd like to hear that. So uh, it's interesting because this is a song that is from what many would argue is one of the least good, I don't want to say worse, George Harrison albums. Extra Texture is not, that and Dark Horse were not great looks for George. No, he was, yeah, he was, um, he had a Coke problem, right? Wasn't that, kind of ravaged his voice, right? I think that's what they said, yeah. 
I mean, it's kind of what happened to the Beach Boys. Like, if you ever listen to that Beach Boys record, Love You, and they're all like, Ugh, <laughs> pat, pat, pat her on her butt. You know, that weird, <laughs> that really uh, weird what? Beach Boys period song. There's a song about, called, I think it's called I Want to Pick You Up. It's, a, it's these, like, aging, <laughs> hairy, weird men talking about, singing about babies. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I want to pick you up. It's a, it's a terrible song. <laughs> is Ricky Fatar involved in the Beach Boys of this era? Is no, okay. I think he's gone at this point. Pat, 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 pat her on her butt, but she's going to sleep. Be quiet. But this song has that 70 feel, meaning 1970, because that's when the backing track was recorded. So, you know, it's only the vocals that were done, and some of those overdubs were done in 75. So. It has the spirit of all things must pass, you know? Yeah, it does kind of feel like a cousin of what is life a little bit. Yeah. Musically. Yeah. I've just always liked this song. And you know what? I haven't heard it too much. This is one I don't hear on the radio so much. So it's not worn out on me yet. Yet. (laughs) Well, and that's the annoying thing about classic rock radio. They only play a bit more of you. They never play you. A bit more of you was then now is that something that you would throw onto mixtapes if you only had like a minute left on your cassette? A hundred percent. That's what see, that's what that that's the purpose of this song. <laughs> yeah, man. Of, of that song at least. A little bit more of you, which is basically a one minute version of you uh with no lyrics, right? Meaning no vocals, right? No, it, it just and I don't even think it's a different take. I think it's a fade up of the same master take, which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> you should just called it you version. Put the Wayne's World <laughs> shit in there. But that, it's it's Wayne's World, but McCartney developed it. And yeah, because the uh, give Ireland give Ireland much the Irish version is has all. It inspired Wayne and Garth, man. <laughs> Also, you know, we're big on hot takes in the show. I haven't seen the Wayne's World movies in a long time. I did love them, like, in college. And there's part of me that still thinks Wayne's World 2 is better than the first one. That whole uh, Wayne stock where they put on the uh, the music festival. Right, right. I've seen probably the first one a handful of times, and I've seen the second one a few times less. I saw them both in the theater, and I remember enjoying them very much in the theater. I, my favorite bits were when they talked to Aerosmith and then when they talked to Alice Cooper. Yes. Also, when they walk into Guitar Center on Sunset and, uh, you know, no stairway to heaven allowed. I thought that was a good gag. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny, especially at the time. Yeah. And, you know, for as much as the Bohemian Rhapsody thing was overplayed, that was brilliant. Like, for its time, that the Bohemian Rhapsody lip syncing bit was great. Yeah. It was populist. <laughs> But in a great way. Uh-oh, here we go. Here's where we diverge. I mean, no, it was, yeah. When I saw that in the theater, I mean, I wasn't laughing. I was like, oh, good, you know, good job. But I didn't I didn't think it was funny. It's not my style. You know, to me, you know what it is? It's Fallon-esque, pre-Fallon. That's fair. It's Fallon-esque. Right. And right. I don't think I laughed either. I do think I, I thought it was a cool way to use that song. Yeah. And let's, let's face it, that was a great song and... Uh, yeah, it was it was cool to see that song get a renaissance. Well, should we move on to Ringo then, huh? You didn't want to do a Pete Best one? <laughs> because Pete Best cover of Boys on Best of the Beatles is... <laughs> yeah, did he sing? I don't know, but I'd sure like to hear him do Sweet Georgia Brown with, <laughs> like with, uh, whistling with, with Tony Sheridan and the Beat Brothers. So let's talk Ringo. Uh, do you want to go first this time? Do you want to do a yeah, twofer? Yeah. Just to kind of Why vary not? things up a little bit? So I discovered as I was compiling my list that a lot of my songs are in the same tempo and also have a lot of the same instrumentation. So this song, yes, has a saxophone on it, and it is off of Goodnight Vienna. It's uh, Snookaroo. Yes! (laughs) I think did Elton John write this with him or for him? 
This is an Elton John, Bernie Taupin song. Yes. They wrote it for Ringo based on Ringo's life. It's like a biographical Ringo song. I love it. It's fun. And it does, it does beg the question, is Ringo truly the real working class hero? Oh, you just dropped some. I got to go. I'm out. <laughs> Come on, snookeroo, man. It's <laughs> really funny. I love this song. It's just fun. But it also, this there's a darkness under it, too. It talks about, like, you know, it sounds like there's some strife at Ringo's home between mom and dad. And it's very 70s, you know? It's very, uh, I kind of dig it. I don't know. There's a nostalgia there as well, you know? I love the song and I've one of my favorite Ringo songs. So it's been the, he covered Hoyt Axton's the no, no song. And this was the B side of that 45. Right. So when I was getting into all my Ringo 45s in like high school, yes, high school TJ listened to a lot of Ringo 45s, which says a lot. <laughs> I I love the A side, but I almost love the B side just as much. Cause it's this tempo kind of piano rocker. Yeah. It's fun. And that's Elton John doing the counting by the way as well. So yeah. He appears vocally on it. Yeah, it's fun. It's just a fun song, and that's how I'm. That's how I was feeling on my uh, my Mount Rushmore. I wanted a fun one. That's a great one. Uh, and mine's going to be too serious now. <laughs> With Ringo, really? Yeah. With Ringo, yeah. Well, I actually had to fluctuate a little bit. Uh, I I had. Did is that make grammatical sense? <laughs> I had to fluctuate a little bit. My toilet got all backed up, so I fluctuate in a different room. My wife's like, why are you fluctuating here? I'm like, where's the Nivea? I have no idea what we're talking about right now. Um, but the Nivea. <laughs> hashtag where's the Nivea? Why is that their ad campaign? Where's the Nivea? <laughs> Clara Peller in where's the Nivea? Dude, you give me Clara Peller and Nivea and I'll give you a night. That was Chicago, by the way. Where's the beef? Was that? Pretty sure. Pretty sure that was shot in Chicago. I re- I think I actually worked with one of the people that uh, that shot that way back when. Clara Peller was our generation's Estelle Getty. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that that was a whole wig the whole time. Like when I was a kid, I thought really thought she was the I thought she was that character. I, I, th- I think she's the youngest of the of the cast members. Estelle Getty was. I, that's what I thought. Like, I loved Golden Girls when it was on. I think Golden Girls has now become overestimated in society. I feel like just because Betty White's still kicking, I feel like people over-remember Golden Girls at this point. Oh, so I take that back. Rue McClanahan was the youngest member, but here's what, I, here's what it is. Estelle Getty was younger than B. Arthur, who played her daughter. That's what it was. And of course, Cheech Marin was the star of the Golden Girls sequel, The Golden Palace, where they replaced B. Arthur with Cheech. And it went to CBS and they souped up the theme song. People watched for 10 minutes and went, you know, I'm good. I don't, I don't think I need to see this anymore. Are you doing a bit or is that real? No, I swear to God. Golden Girls was canceled by NBC. Right. And CBS picked it up and it became the Golden Palace. B. Arthur didn't rejoin. She married Leslie Nielsen off camera, you fools. And it became the Golden <laughs> Palace. And it was, um, uh, they replaced B. Arthur with Cheech. <laughs> and they did a souped up version of the theme song. Anytime you redo a theme song, the Golden Palace theme song was the same as Golden Girls, but like modernized, which meant shittier. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a party, invited everyone you you would see the biggest gift would be for me. And the card attached would say, thank you for 
this would have been like what 93 or something wasn't golden girls on to like 92 or something like that yeah i think this is 93 at this point holy shit no i knew i knew nothing about that golden palace golden palace I think packaged in syndication with Golden Girls reruns. I don't know why I know all this. It is, it, it's really embarrassing that I have this information. I'm not proud of it. Wow. But I also love bad spinoffs. The Brady Brides, 1981's <laughs> spinoff yep. to the Brady Bunch yep. is so great in the worst way. They revise the theme. It's a new life for two girls named Brady. <laughs> and the most egregious example, egregious and Kathy Lee, is the new WKRP in Cincinnati. As you know, KRP, oh, my favorite right. show, they had like yeah. a revised version eight years later that had, yeah. it kept Mr. Carlson and, and Herb and Les and Venus came back for one and Johnny came back for a couple and it just sucked the joy out of WKRP. They tried to make it like, like a conforming sitcom, whereas the other one was just its own, its own spirit. So yeah, forget that. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. What was it? Back to the Beav was the other one. <laughs> anyway, there was some Leave it to Beaver 80s yeah. reboot that was messed up. Remember that? And then like Return to Gilligan's Island. And then there was like a, a Happy Days reunion where Richie punched Fonzie. And I'm like, I don't need to watch any of this. <laughs> now that's jumping the show. All right. Back to Ringo. Back to reality. Um my, f- I think I-, I debated because one, uh, one of my two favorite Ringo songs is also from that same era, and um, it is Oh My My, which is another piano stomper that uh, Ben Folds actually covered uh, a couple years ago for a Ringo tribute. But I think my favorite is one where Ringo attempted a comeback in 92 with a song that I think is one of his very best songs. It's called Way to the World off the album Time Takes Time, it was produced in a manner... Don was produced it. It was produced to kind of sound a bit like a jangly roots rock birds song. I forget the songwriters' names, but they kind of wrote it with a riff that sounded a bit like It Don't Come Easy, where they kind of played with like a classic Ringo riff in a vocal that Ringo could really sing and deliver. But yeah, man, Way to the World came out in April of 92... I don't believe it charted in the States. It charted uh, in, the, I think, the low 70s in the UK. But it's a really great Ringo song where he sings it well, it's produced well, it's melodic, and because it came well after the classic Ringo era, like nobody's ever heard of it. I love it, though. We've all been used, and we gotta And then I heard they later used it in uh, episode three of Golden Palace. <laughs> right, where, where Cheech <laughs> dies and then comes back <laughs> with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Golden Palace, by the way, is my favorite Ray Manzarek solo <laughs> album. <laughs> Trivia. One song, two sides. <laughs> Ray, your organ's unplugged in. Ray, your organ's unplugged in. But it it brings up something else you and I've talked about on the show before too, where it's like, so college age me is listening to the Kasingal away to the world while my, my college roommates wow. into like Dinosaur Jr. and Pearl Jam and Rollins band. And I'm like, you know, uh, Dinosaur Jr. is fine, but have you heard the new Ringo Starr song? And it's like, I was that asshole. I get it though, man. I get it. Well, that's fun, man. That's fun. And those will probably change. We we could probably check in like uh, a year from now or something and see see if our Mount Rushmores have changed. Now, should we get into the whole controversy of isn't Mount Rushmore seen now as this like terrible thing that was created by a racist man? Right. Isn't that a thing? Many, if not most monuments tend to be problematic in 2020, 2021. But yeah. I'm mixed because part of me, I do believe 
in banishing the Confederate flag. I do believe in banishing Confederate monuments. I do believe Stone Mountain, a tribute to the Confederacy just outside of Metro Atlanta, should be done away with. However, I'm not in favor of tearing down a statue of Abraham Lincoln. I do think there's got to be nuance with all this stuff. So, yeah, in a sense, fuck Mount Rushmore. But in another sense, uh, if you're going to cancel things, we at least need to, in my humble opinion, have some discretion about what we're canceling and why. Yeah, actually, discourse is a good idea. It's hard to do that these days. But uh, another thing we can do is just call it our crazy horse, you know, but then we only get to pick one. Well, uh, cra- Crazy Horse, I mean, what's your favorite Neil Young? Mine is probably the Green Day <laughs> record. Wait, your favorite Neil Young record is a Green Day record? I didn't know that's... <laughs> this is where the world is actually going. <laughs> I, dude, I love Neil Young so much, I don't think he ever got better than Dookie. <laughs> no, N- Neil Young had an album called Green Dale in the early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's that dude's prolific. I haven't caught them all, but I do own that, uh, the Zumba, uh, <laughs> his music Roomba <laughs> that vacuums your house and plays only Neil Young records. Only $8,000, but it's in such a high bit. Flack files. Flack files. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Well, next week we're actually going to tackle, I'm going to have to do a mea culpa on this one because it's, uh, the Beatles second album. It's an album that I I think I prejudged. There you go. Prejudice. Prejudice. Mea culpa. Can't wait to get into it. This is where you and I differ is I'm more pride. You're more prejudice. (laughs) So, Tony, Beatles' second album, as you and I kind of continue our every few week look at the American records, uh, you have dogged the album a little bit in the past. A little bit. A little bit. And I can't wait. I've said it's not my favorite. Uh, It is one of mine, and I can't wait to have a conversation with you about that next week, because much like a lot of the U.S. Capitol albums, there's no album in the Beatles discography like Second Album, and I can't wait to break it down for you. It is the most rocking Beatles record, as Universal Music might say, file under rock. Hashtag tomorrow never knows. Oh, that made me sick. And I, I'm a guy who doesn't like the real music cover. And then Universal releases tomorrow never knows. The Beatles were a rock band, kids. Stop listening to Mick Jagger telling you they're pop. In fact, file it under rock. <laughs> Offended me. But yeah, Beatles second album next week. We'll do a salute to Dave Dexter. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thanks for joining us. And send all your show complaints to our producer, Casey Baker. He's docile. He'll tell you to fuck off much kinder than we will. So send him your thoughts. Uh, All right. Peace and love. Warning you. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 